Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to a bonus episode of The Decibel. We wanted to bring you this conversation I had with Globe political columnists, Robin Urbach and John Ibbotson. We talked about Pierre Polyev's conservative leadership win and what it means for Canadian politics going forward. This conversation was live on Twitter, and we're giving you the full discussion here too, complete with a few questions from the audience. This is The Decibel. Today, I've got two Globe journalists with me to, to dissect everything here. We've got Robin Urbach, who's the current affairs columnist at The Globe in Toronto. And we've also got John Ibbotson, who's a writer at large at The Globe and a columnist in Ottawa. Uh, Robin and John, I think you're both here. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Great to be here. So let's get started uh, talking about the convention night itself on Saturday. Uh, and I, I want to talk to you about this first, John, because we actually, you and I chatted ahead of the convention for an episode we did last week, and you totally called the result. You said Polyev was going to win on the first ballot, and sure enough, he took it on the first ballot. Uh, but I'm curious, did anything that you saw on Saturday at that convention, did anything surprise you? Well, the size of it. Yes, I said he would win. Yes, I said he would win on the first ballot. That's not rocket science. There were a whole lot of people who could tell from the fact that he'd signed up 300,000 members and that the membership had jumped, jumped to over 700,000. The only one interpretation for that, which was that Pierre Polyev had signed up hundreds of thousands of members and was going to win on the first ballot. But um, 68% of the vote, that, uh, that's surprising. Anybody who wants to, uh, who's written a column about the, or, or commented about the Conservative Party being split by Pierre Polyev, no, it ain't. If you look, if you think, all right, where, what's going to happen with the, with the uh, red Tory vote? Well, if the red Tory vote was Jean Charest, it was 16% of the vote. And if you're saying, well, what about the social conservatives? They need a voice in the party. Well, Leslie Lewis represented the social conservatives. She got 10% of the vote. So the man who's leading this party is someone who got more than two-thirds of the support of all the party members. Whatever else happens going forward, the party is united. Hmm. This is an, it's an interesting thing to note. And we will talk about party unity um, as we go on. But Robin, I, I want to talk to you about one thing that, that actually I, I noticed that stood out to me as I was watching that convention on, on Saturday night, um, as, as I do, as I'm sure both of you did as well. Uh, after the results were announced, Pierre Polyev and his wife, uh, Anna Ida, actually took to the stage together. And his wife actually spoke first and introduced Pierre before his victory speech. And so, Robin, I'm wondering about the decision to have his wife speak there. What can we learn or, or kind of read into to that decision? Well, first off, she's a firecracker. Like she's worked within the Conservative Party for years and she's really well liked within the party. And I mean, there's a joke that when when you have like a strange man, usually you look at his wife and his wife kind of normalizes her a little bit. And I kind of think that's what mm -hmm. Anna does to a certain extent. Um, she is not the typical sort of like I hate to say trophy wife, but that's kind of what we see a lot in politics where there's, you know, the, the wife or sometimes the husband on the side who's just kind of silent and clapping and kissing and holding the babies and that's it. Like she mm. is a conservative firebrand. She speaks so well. Um, so she's kind of like his hidden, not so hidden weapon in a way. And I think, I mean, I hate to be so crass about the um, identity politics of it, but that's what 
you know, a lot of politics comes down to. Um, we know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, that the liberals are going to try and paint Pierre Polyev as white supremacist and, and catering to the right wing and what have you. Well, his wife is a Latina woman from Venezuela, and uh, she moved with her family to Montreal. And Pierre Polyev even talked during his victory speech about how his kids are going to learn French first and then Spanish and then yeah. English. So it's something that he kind of has to deflect against those accusations. Like what you're a pretty crappy white supremacist, I got to say, if you marry a <laughs> Latino woman. And her French is also amazing, I will say, too, right? You heard mm -hmm. her speak French there as well. She's saying she grew up in Montreal. So that's that's got to be something that they're thinking about as well. Mm hmm. Uh, John, let's go back to you. You talked about the 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 kind of the numbers there about uh, Pierre Polyev winning with sixty eight percent, a big number. Um, we also saw Stephen Harper uh, win on the first ballot with a big number like that. I I wonder what you think about um, I guess the similarities there. Well, of course, Stephen Harper uh, won on the first ballot uh, at the creation of a new party. Because um, the Conservative Party had just been formed from the alliance uh, of the uh, from the union of the uh, Canadian Alliance and the, uh, the uh, Progressive Conservative Party, so it was a brand new party. He was its leader. He remained its leader for more than a decade until he was defeated as Prime Minister in 2015. The party then, I think, looking back in retrospect, um, maybe went into a into a, a bit of a no man's land where it took forever um, to d elect Andrew Scheer at the 2017 convention. And we, we saw the really deep divisions inside the party. Maxime Bernier walked out of the party uh, not long after. Um, we saw Aaron O'Toole uh, take several ballots to win um, uh, a few years later. And, you know, again, the party was divided. When, uh, when Aaron O'Toole pivoted, when he tried to do something on the environment, uh, there was a lot, lot of rummings, a lot of discontent, and ultimately uh, he was ejected by his own caucus. This is conservative history. The Conservative Party has been divided more often than it has been united since the days of Johnny MacDonald. Uh, but now we, I think we have a Stephen Harper moment. I think Pierre Polyev has um, taken the party uh, leadership by an emphatic margin. It's a different kind of agenda than Stephen Harper's agenda, although it has Stephen Harper's seal of approval. He did openly endorse uh, Pierre Polyev. So I think we're going to see a party that is animated behind one leader with a very strong message. I think some will say it's an extreme message. Mm -hmm. We'll see to what extent that message resonates. But I don't think, um, and it's really a shame, because if you have nothing else to do, you can always write a column about divisions within the Conservative Party. As mm -hmm. um, but we're not Stop going to spilling our secrets, John. <laughs> <laughs> the Conservative Party has never been more divided. Yeah, we can't, we can't write that anymore. Hmm. That's an interesting. That's an interesting point to make as well. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are talking to Robin Urbeck and John Ibbotson, both of the Globe and Mail, of course. I think, Robin, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you for this next one. It, maybe if people haven't really been following Pierre Polyev's career, they they might not know him so well. I guess let's do a little introduction here. What I mean, what words would you use to describe him if you if you were talking about him? He is a pit bull. Um, that's really how he rose within the ranks of the Conservative Party um, and really fortified his reputation. He was on the offensive um, in the House of Commons, basically as long as he's been in the House of Commons, which is um, close to 20 years. He was elected at I believe 25 years old in, in 2004, and he quickly mm -hmm. climbed, climbed the ranks. Um, when Stephen Harper didn't necessarily want to get his feet dirty on certain things or was skippy in the front row, willing to 
spit venom at his political opponents. Sometimes it got him in trouble. Oftentimes it, it earned applause from his colleagues. Um, and uh, that's sort of how he has defined himself as a um, politician, really. Um, he has a compelling personal background as well, um, a story he likes to repeat often because I think it humanizes him. But he, he will say how he himself um, grew up very middle class. He was born to a 16-year-old unwed mother whose mother had just died before uh, she gave birth. And he was adopted by two school teachers, um, grew up in Calgary and lived a, a very middle class life. And that's something that he references now um, when he was on the campaign for the last few months. And I, I assume it's going to be something that he's going to talk about going forward, just the opportunities that were afforded to him, even coming from a very middle-class, modest background, um, those opportunities aren't necessarily afforded to people who were born 10 years after him, even. Um, mm -hmm. he, he talks a lot about um, how difficult it is for young people to afford to start a family or buy a home. And it seems as though he can relate to that in a way. I mean, if you take a step back, I don't know how much someone who earned his full pension when he was like 31 years old can really relate to the struggles of a millennial yeah. today. But that's a bit besides the point. But that's something that he references a lot. And I think it's brought him a lot of success just being able to speak to those economic struggles that a lot of particularly young people in Canada have today. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up, Robin, because I think that's what a lot of people have, have seen of him uh, throughout the, the last few months of this campaign, especially he's talking about affordability issues. Uh, and, and the other thing that people may associate with Polyev uh, is his support of the, the trucker convoy in Ottawa earlier this year. Uh, people may remember there were there were pictures of him circulating, you know, taking pictures with people down there in, in downtown Ottawa. Uh, and John, I, I want to throw this to you because, of course, you were in Ottawa when all of this was going on. Do, do you think that Polyev's support of that, do you think it, it it helped him in the race? Do you think it hindered him? What's your what's your read on that? It probably helped him in the leadership race, and now it's going to hinder him in the larger context. Hmm. The Liberals are certainly going to try to portray him as an extremist. Uh, he played footsie with the convoyards uh, in Ottawa, although we always condemned um, any illegal actions. You could argue the entire convoy itself was illegal. The entire occupation of Ottawa was itself illegal. He also plays footsie with the conspiracists who reference the World Economic Forum, some kind of vast global conspiracy. Uh, he said he wouldn't allow his cabinet ministers to go to their Davos meeting. He mm. doesn't actually join with them, but as I say, he plays footsie with them. And uh, the liberals are going to uh, make hay of this. Uh, they're going to portray him as 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 a uh, you know a wing nut or a guy who consorts with wing nuts as a, as a conspiracist or someone who consorts with conspiracists, hmm. um, and that's going to be something he's going to have to uh, to figure out. But there's one other thing I would say in, in that context: the the liberals were very good at um, portraying Andrew Shear as intolerant and uh, and and dangerous and. Uh, you know, a threat to women's rights. Sheer could never really, it seems, shake that off. In the end, they did uh, a pretty good job of demonizing Aaron O'Toole as well, because O'Toole had a hard time defining himself. Uh, Pierre Polyev is very good at defining himself. He he knows exactly who he is. And I was when I was watching that uh, speech at the conference on uh, on Saturday. Um, I hearkened back to something that I had written in 2013 when Justin Trudeau became. Uh, the leader of the Liberal Party. 
I said, you know, we can talk about policies and we can talk about uh, this and we can talk about that. But in politics, either you've got it or you don't. And Justin Trudeau's got it. Hmm. I think for the first time uh, since Stephen Harper, I would say if the question is, have you got it or don't you have it? I think Pierre Polyev has got it. What is it? I don't know. You just know it when you see it. Huh. You talk about him playing playing footsies maybe with parts of the, the certain segments of the far right and things, John. Would would you call Pierre Polyev a, a populist? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, he is part of uh, a movement around the Western world uh, in which conservative parties successfully uh, have taken the working class vote away from the progressives. The working class vote used to be the basis of the New Democratic Party, used to be the basis of the Labour Party in Great Britain. Democrats uh, could count on the working class vote in the United States. But at some point in the fight for social justice and in the fight to protect the environment and, and, and the fight to, uh, against global warming um, and the fight against racism, in the midst of that somehow, uh, working voters uh, came to believe that the progressive parties were more interested in these things than they were interested in the guy on the line. And the conservative parties of Britain and, and of the United States became uh, good at taking that vote away from the progressives and putting it into the conservative party or into the Republican party. Absolutely, Pierre Polyev's goal here is to appeal to working class voters, voters who might once have thought about voting NDP, who might once have thought about voting liberal, and saying, no, we're the guys who have your back because we understand the struggles of people who are just trying to fill up their gas tank of their truck, by the way, um, you know, who are just trying to buy a steak for the barbecue, by the way, trying to live ordinary everyday lives um, and are having those aspirations thwarted by inflation and uh, taxes and the like. That's going to be his message. It has worked elsewhere. And now we're going to see if it works here. Hmm. Robin, John's, of course, discussing, you know, Polyev's playing footsie or flirting with, with far-right sentiments here of the party. What's your take? Is, is this just, you know, courting, courting votes, or does this actually reflect his values and, and policy that we're going to see from him? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think certainly it was advantageous during the leadership campaign to engage voters who aren't, never mind, don't vote conservative, but didn't vote at all. And we heard that at basically every rally that Pierre Polyev hosted, there were people there who, for whatever reason, maybe they bought into his like footsieing about the uh, WEF conspiracy theory. Maybe they liked his economic plan, whatever it was, he was able to engage non-voters and to get them excited. And we know that a lot of his victories due to that. Um, so I don't think it's something that it's going to he's going to necessarily leave by the wayside because it's been so effective. But I think we got a glimpse of the direction that he's going to go now um, during his speech. There was one line in particular um, during his victory speech where he said, Canadians don't need a government that runs their lives. They need a government that can run a passport office, which yeah. is pretty good. And I mean, he's good at those like one-off lines and alliteration and what have you. But I mean, that's what he's going to focus on. It's going to be um, meat and potatoes issues, issues that affect the everyday person's life. Um, the average person probably can't rattle off the year by which the Liberals said they're going to reduce carbon emissions by 40%. I think it's 2030, but even I don't know. Um, but I they think you're right, but even I'm not 100% yeah, sure on that. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the average person does know how much their weekly grocery bill has gone up. And I mean, it's hard to say, let's say the next election is in um, 
2025, and maybe Justin Trudeau is leading the Liberals, and maybe he's not. Um, right now, there was an Ipsos poll, I think from about a week ago or so, um, that, that polled both Conservative voters and Canadians and asked them their impressions of Pierre Polyev, and it was something like 40 percent of Canadians have no opinion of him at this time. So neither good nor bad. Um, And that's a real opportunity for Polyev. And it's a great opportunity for the Liberals as well. And surely with a couple of really expertly designed and attack ads, which Liberals are very good at, they'll be able to change that. But I think on a very granular level, again, if you think about an election happening in 2025, um, the Liberals release an attack ad about Polyev supporting the convoy, by which time I think most of us, it'll be a distant memory, or they release a, an attack ad about him shaking hands with Jeremy McKenzie, who most people probably don't know or will have to Google or, or try and um, recall what that whole thing was about. Um, meanwhile, Polyev is out there talking about people's grocery bills and how much they're paying in taxes and how much it costs to fill up their gas tanks. I think fundamentally we are creatures of self-interest. And although maybe some things about his past will rub people the wrong way, but I think it's foolish to believe that those impressions will be more powerful than the, the tangible promises he's making to improve people's lives, whether or not he actually has the solutions. And that's a whole other discussion, but he's making these promises um, in ways that really affect people day to day. And I think that's that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. And Jeremy McKenzie, you mentioned, of course, is, is uh, the leader of a, an accelerationist group. So on that, that, that right edge of the spectrum there as well. Uh, if, if people are just joining us, we're talking until about 2.30 with uh, Robin Urbach and, and John Ibbotson here of The Glow. Uh, and I just want to go back. Uh, Robin, you were just talking about kind of the people getting to know Pierre Polyev or not really knowing him before and kind of uh, starting to to understand who this guy is, one of the things that he did throughout the leadership campaign was he he seemed to work social media pretty well. He made some videos, um, even you know where he pretended to have breakfast and talked to Justin Trudeau during the campaign about affordability and things, uh, which which really stood out, especially among the the other candidates running for for the leadership. How effective, Robin, would you say his use of social media was during that campaign? I think it was really something that we haven't seen from anyone else. Um, He harnessed the attention, especially of young people on social media, really well. And he got astronomical numbers for pretty long videos. So those of us who have worked um, in social media or online, we know that like, if you put out like a five minute video on economic policy, which like, that's what Pierre Polyev was basically doing. Um, you can only dream to have the kind of numbers that he would have of people who would watch these videos and somehow he did it. So I think what he was doing with um, his social media, his videos in particular, was sort of harnessing the anger that has been unacknowledged in Canada, for the most part from politicians. So the anger about the cost of living, about housing, about lineups at passport offices and lineups at the airport. He went to the airport and talked about a ride can and wearing a mask and all sorts of things. Um, And throughout those videos and speeches, what he basically said was like, I hear you and I'm going to do something about it. And again, whether he actually has a plan to do something about all these things, that's debatable. But he created a visual representation of the things that you or I or anyone else is experiencing in our lives that is frustrating us, whether it's going out for breakfast and seeing how expensive it is or, or lining up to get our passport, which is something basic we expect that our government should be able to do. 
um, he harnessed our attention really well. And I think it was through social media that he was able to reach those unconventional voters or the people who, who otherwise might not be engaged in the political process, because that's how you get them, right? You get them through Facebook and you hope that people are sharing those videos or Twitter or YouTube, that they're sharing it and expanding it to the rest of their network. And that's how people who normally don't care at all about politics are seeing messages from this guy named Pierre who has a funny side part, but is saying the things that actually matter to you. And I think that was really key for expanding his support throughout the campaign. It's certainly something I expect that he's going to continue to do now as leader. Hmm. John, I want to bring you back into the conversation here. Earlier, we were we were talking about party unity here. So let's let's go Let's go back to that. Uh, this is the third leader in as many years of the party. Uh, we've had Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, who both didn't really last very long. Um, and, and we've talked about how Polyev has, has reached out in, in a populist way. But I guess what about conservative members who are center-right, kind of the, you know, the so-called red Tories? Is, is there a place for them in this party under Pierre Polyev? Well, that's up to them. I mean, one of the things that Pierre Polyev has done, as Stephen Harper did well, is define the party. He's defined the party as, well, first of all, his party. And, and that it's the party of Pierre Polyev. Just as in 2013, Justin Trudeau took a, a, a bankrupt third-place liberal party and rebranded it as the Justin Trudeau party. Uh, and it's been the Justin Trudeau party ever since. It would be a challenge for the liberals uh, if and when Mr. Trudeau leaves to find a leader who can, who can get over the fact that it is really just a part, private personal property of Justin Trudeau. The Conservative Party is now the private personal property of Pierre Polyev, 68% of the vote for crying out loud. So if you're a red Tory or if you're a social conservative, if you're to the right of Pierre Polyev and you want, you want the conservative party to fight for the rights of the unborn, for example, um, you have to decide for yourself, am I a red Tory who can live with Pierre Polyev? And if not, the liberal party awaits me. Um, or am I a social conservative uh, and I cannot tolerate the fact that Pierre Polyev is LGBTQ friendly uh, and supports the right of a woman to choose. And if you can't tolerate that, then, well, Maxime Bernier's People's Party awaits you. If you decide that, you know, social conservative issues matter to me, but broader conservative values matter to me, or if you decide that um, the, the, you know, the, the brokerage politics of, of the Red Tory movement, the social, socially progressive but fiscally conservative politics of the Red Tory movement are important, but on the other hand, I hate liberals. <laughs> I want the conservative to win the next election. Mm. Then you will stay inside the conservative party as well. But it's your choice. Pierre Polyev, although he said on Saturday night that he was opening his arms to all members of the party, has specifically defined what the party is, the party of his values, the party of his priorities, his party. Do you want to belong to it or not? It's not for Polyev to come to them. It's for them to decide whether they want to come to Polyev. Well, I'm glad you brought up the People's Party of Canada there and, and Maxine Bernier, John, because I think uh, this is this is something that's on a lot of people's minds. And we actually have a couple of audience questions about the PPC. So let's go to one of these now. Uh, Somebody is asking about uh, basically Pierre Polyev's uh, relationship, essentially, or, or I guess negotiation with the support of this party here. Um, on many fronts, he, he has similar maybe commitments to the PPC, um, but there's one which is immigration levels. Where do you see uh, Pierre Polyev landing on that? Uh, and more importantly, how do you see him pitching it to voters? Uh, maybe, Robin, we can go first to you here, and then, and then, John, we can get your take as well. I think, well, that's the one thing that 
definitely distinguishes the PPC from from the Conservative Party under Pierre Polyev, um, or yeah, under Pierre Polyev, where the Conservative Party is going to go. Um, he supports immigration. He's talked about fast tracking immigration processes for um, people who have the skills that we need here in Canada. So it's something that he is unapologetically in support of. Um, and th- that could not be more different from what we hear from Maxime Bernier. Um, the People's Party did pretty well, actually, in the last election. Um, I think they got close to five percent of of the popular vote which is pretty good for a a relatively fringe party but i think um the ppc's issue during the last election was all about vaccines and vaccine mandates and i think that's where they borrowed a lot of their support um it's certainly something that polyev has talked about and he says that he doesn't support vaccine mandates although he he supports vaccines in principle whereas maxime bernier has said he's he well, he says he hasn't been vaccinated. He doesn't plan to be vaccinated. Um, so the PPC provided a, a home during the last election, certainly for people who um, opposed vaccine mandates or the vaccines themselves. But as we get further from the COVID-19 pandemic, I don't know how relevant the PPC party is going to be anymore. Um, mm-hmm. That was basically their big issue during the last election. It also um, distinguishes those who, um, it, it refutes those who believe that Pierre Polyev is Donald Trump uh, come north. Mm-hmm. And you see mm-hmm. a lot of that, especially in social media. Oh, my God, he's, he's Canada's Trump. No, he's not. He, Trump uh, opposed immigration. Trump, Trump was frankly racist. Um, and and Polyev uh, supports high levels of immigration. Polyev supports, as I said, LGBTQ issues. Uh, he supports women's right to choose. There's nothing uh, of Trump in Polyev. Maybe Doug Ford, yes, uh, but not Trump. Robin, do you see the same thing? Like, would you draw that distinction between what's happening south of the border with what happened with Trump versus versus here? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a lazy comparison when when people talk about Pierre Polyev as the Trump of Canada. Um, there's nothing really socially conservative when you talk about the big issues, as John said, like abortion or LGBT issues or those sorts of things. Um, Pierre Polyev leans more libertarian. Um, You can't at once say that you're going to get rid of the gatekeepers and then also say, but we're going to keep the gatekeepers for like these social issues that I don't really like. Um, Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to wade into it. And I think it's, um, I mean, I don't know how much it is his personal values or just the fact that it's pragmatic in Canada. You're not, you're not going to win if you're talking about rolling back abortion rights or, or reopening the gay marriage debate or things like that. Like there is no political appetite for anyone who's going to propagate those issues at all. And I think that was a big issue for Andrew Scheer, frankly, because he would blush and look at his shoes every time someone asked him about gay marriage in 2019. Like, you know, you're about 20 years too late to be bashful about that. Um, so I, I, I don't think the comparisons to Trump really stand. They're both populist in that sense. I mean, th- there's a comparison to be drawn. But beyond that, I think each is his own animal and you can criticize them independently. But I don't think the comparison really stands at all. Hmm. We are uh, just after 2.30. We're going to go a few minutes late, if everyone's okay with that, just because we have a few more questions that we want to get to. Uh, I especially want to talk about the, the kind of the potential next election, the, the, this looming idea uh, that people are asking some questions about here, too. Uh, and, and I want to talk to you both about 
Quebec, because this is always a key election battleground. Uh, John, how do you think the province will respond to a Conservative Party under Polyev? Is he going to be able to to build support in Quebec? It's a really interesting question, but it has a, two, a two-part answer. Uh, the first is, uh, there is a strategy. Obviously, as you said, his wife is from Montreal. His kids are going to be educated in French before they're going to be educated in English. Mm-hmm. He believes that the Conservative Party of Quebec's, at this point, relatively strong performance in the Quebec election, speaks to a growing conservative uh, populism inside Quebec as well, which could grow it from 10, uh, the seats that it currently has, uh, in Quebec uh, to more. And that's one path to victory. But let's not forget, Stephen Harper got a majority government without winning very many seats in Quebec because there's uh, another constituency that's even more important than Quebec. And that is the 905, the suburban ridings uh, surrounding the city of Toronto and the lower mainland surrounding Vancouver. Millions and millions and millions of middle-class uh, voters, uh, many of them immigrants, and their values tend to be, especially immigrants, a bit more socially conservative, economically conservative, than the mainstream. They have nonetheless gone, well, not the mainstream, than the downtowns, let me say downtowns. Mm-hmm. They have nonetheless gone liberal in the last uh, three elections. Um, the, if if uh, Pierre Polyev can win those immigrant middle-class voters in the 905, he will form government. Uh, if he cannot win the middle-class voters in the 905, he will not form government. Although it would be very, very helpful to his cause if he could expand his base in Quebec as well. Hmm. Uh, I want to put another audience question to uh, to you. Actually, Robin, I will um, I'll, I'll I'll pass this one on to you because we were talking a little bit earlier about um, Pierre Polyev talking about affordability, especially in this leadership campaign. Uh, someone's asking, could you touch on how Pierre can make home home ownership a reality for all Canadians? He has he has talked a lot about uh, home affordability. So does he does he have a plan, a platform, any kind of thing that's I guess concrete really about how how he would do that? I guess the the most concrete thing that he said really is that he will tie um, federal housing infrastructure to certain zoning requirements, and maybe that that will get it done. I think like nothing's really going to fix the housing situation in some of the big cities like Toronto, Vancouver, et cetera. Sorry, what, um, is that, what does that mean though? The zoning, like that's, I don't really know what like zoning requirements means there. So it, it kind of means like there are all sorts of like Byzantine rules in, in Toronto, for example, um, you know, that, that houses cannot be over two stories or three stories or certain areas aren't zoned for um, multi-family housing. So you need to have a, a single family home on a property instead of like a fourplex or a sixplex or something that would allow for um, more, basically more families to live on, on a certain site, which increases density and a lot of um, NIMBYs come out so not in my backyard type people come out and say that they don't want this because of course it negatively affects their property values if you have um, a a neighborhood with single family homes and then all of a sudden there is what appears to be sort of like a, a a mini apartment complex popping up in the middle of the street so basically Pierre Polyev is sort of saying okay well there's all this money all the time from the federal government to um, go down through the provinces and, and to the municipalities to build more housing. And we have all, all of these um, resources available, but we're not going to give you these resources unless your city council comes together and in one way or another says, okay, well, you know, that requirement in Rosedale that, that houses can't have six families living in them or what have you, we're not going to give you that money unless that's 
that's something that's changed. Um, so it's kind of like a multi-step sort of way of, of doing things. It's a complex issue and it's really hard for um, someone at the federal level to implement blanket policies because the, the situation in various municipalities is different, right? Like the situation in Toronto is different from Montreal. It's different from Peterborough, Ontario and, and all sorts of things. But that's one sort of concrete way that, that Pierre Polyev has said he's going to see to relieving the cost of housing. But th- I mean, that's something that takes years and years and years to implement. And it's one lever among many that need to be pulled in order to um, address the cost of housing. Uh, th- there's certainly a whole bunch of other things that he could do, let's say, if he won an election, became prime minister and had all the tools at his disposal. But it's a complex issue. Um, that he hasn't really explained thoroughly, nor do I kind of expect him to. Like at this point, he's just having won a leadership race. Um, He's not going to release a very, very detailed housing policy that Mm -hmm. um, approaches it in a really holistic way. But I mean, a lot of what he's saying, too, is is a lot of what he's saying on all sorts of things like uh, inflation, for example, that he's going to try and control it, but he also criticizes the the governor of the Bank of Canada for increasing interest rates. So it's a lot of promises about how he's going to do things without really explaining the nuts and bolts in a comprehensive way. Yeah. Uh, John, here's here's another audience question that I want to throw to you, because this one this one's also asking for more about um, about Polyev's policy choices here. Uh, so the question is, what is his voting record on the quote unquote working guy concerns? Uh, so has has he voted for increased minimum wage? Um, anything that kind of in, improves the life of the, the quote unquote working class? Um, um, he's, he's been around for a while, as we know, an MP since 25. So what is his record there? What's he done? Well, his record is the record of the Conservative Party. He has never voted against the cabinet. In fact, he was a member of the cabinet for a while under Stephen Harper. So his idea of helping out the working guy is, um, and of course, and, and the working woman, uh, is to uh, cut taxes, reduce regulations, and promote employment. I mean, this is the difference between liberals and conservatives. Liberals would say, um, we increase supports for child care so that people can put their kid into child care and both uh, members of the family can work. Uh, we increase um, supports um, in other ways uh, for individuals who have problems uh, accessing school or university. The conservatives tend to say, well, we kind of flatten the playing field by reducing regulations, by reducing taxes, by reducing deficits, and then encourage people um, to go for it, to uh, to get it to be as socially mobile uh, uh, as they can be. Um, whether if one of those uh, approaches is offensive to you, um, if you believe that the, the role of the government is indeed to intervene to help people who are disadvantaged, then you're going to then you're a progressive and you're going to vote that way. If you believe that the role of government is to get rid of all those taxes that are eating up the, your paycheck um, and keeping you from going where it is you want to go in your life then you're going to vote conservative. And Polyev's position is pretty consistently, as, as has Stephen Harper's position been pretty consistently, one of fewer regulations, fewer taxes, smaller government, and that people live their lives. Uh, we are about 10 minutes over, so I know we're going to have to wrap soon. But I do want to get in one final question, actually, to, to both of you. Just kind of looking ahead uh, as, in terms of the reaction to Polyev's win from the other parties. So, Robin, I'll go to you first, and then, and then John, you can chime in as well. What do you think the Liberals and the NDP will do now in, in response to, to Polyev's win, to the momentum that he's kind of built up here? How, how will they counteract this? 
Well, it was funny, and I think Pierre Polyev actually mentioned it in his speech to caucus today that there was a, a Toronto Star story or something, and it was probably the way the headline was torqued, but it said something like, um, in response to Polyev's victory, the Liberals promised to address inflation or something like that. And he pointed to that kind of jokingly saying like, okay, Polyev gets results already and I've barely, you know, had this job for, for you know, 12 <laughs> hours or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of scoffing, I think, from the opposition um, about Pierre Polyev. I think a lot of people thought that um, he wasn't going to win or if he was going to win, then he's such a, a polarizing choice that he will be so easy to defeat. In fact, that was Jean, Jean Charest's message throughout the campaign. He didn't really offer much by way of a vision for the Conservative Party under his leadership, but he did say, I'm the only one who could beat the Liberals and Justin Trudeau. Like, that was his message. Basically, vote for me if you want to win. Um, and I think the Liberals kind of ascribed to that as well, that that um, Pierre Polyev is the beatable one and Jean Charest would be the tough one because he was more centrist than Polyev, but I think the smart people among the NDP and the Liberals are worried um, because they see not only that um, the Conservatives seem to be pretty united in a way that they certainly weren't under Andrew Scheer and weren't under Aaron O'Toole, and a united party is one that's much more difficult to come up against, but they also see the the political skills of Pierre Polyev. He's a great speaker, whether you like what he's saying or not. He gets in front of a microphone and he's passionate and he gets his words out and he has this turn of phrase that's easy to remember. Again, whether you like it or not, he coins things like just inflation that stick mm -hmm. in your head. And um, he has lines about fixing passport offices and, and things like that. Um, and those are the things that really resonate with the everyday person. I think he's, again, tapped into the anger that a lot of Canadians have been experiencing, looking around and seeing that nothing really is working. Healthcare is not working. The passport offices are a mess. Um, I can't get my ArriveCan app to let me into the country, what have you. Hmm. He's tapped into that. So I think the Liberals and the NDP should be, should be worried about what this means for them. And John, we just have about a minute left here, but you were talking before about how Polyev's got it in a way that a, a lot of politicians don't necessarily. So, so what do you see kind of as a response to his win here? I think it's going to be war. The Liberals recognize the threat in Polyev that they haven't seen before. A uh, highly popular, populist, confident leader uh, who takes no prisoners uh, when he goes after something and who will take no prisoners in his efforts to defeat the Liberals. Um, Justin Trudeau loathes the things that Pierre Polyev stands for. So it is a genuinely ideological contest as well. And, and Trudeau, who says now he's going to stay, is, I think, going to stay because he wants to take on Polyev and stop the kind of candidate that Polyev represents from coming, just as Stephen Harper stayed on to fight against Justin Trudeau. Both sides will go no holds barred, flat out, not just to defeat, but to destroy the other. We're going to see a demonization of Canadian politics, the like of which we have never seen before. It is not going to be pretty. Wow, that paints quite a picture, John. Uh, the, thank you for, for that. There sounds like there's some, there's some interesting things to look forward to in the next few months and the next few years then. So um, that's yeah, so, something to watch. Uh, John and Robin, thank you both so much for, for taking the time to, to speak with us today. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, and uh, I, I will say we do have another conversation on the Decibel on our, our Daily News podcast with John from a few days ago, just before the uh, the vote happened. But uh, John gives us some more context about Pierre Polyev uh, and about the future of what we can look to for the Conservative Party as well. 
Thanks so much to everyone who tuned into our Twitter space, and to John Ibbotson and to Robin Urbach for joining me. You can follow me on Twitter at ManicaRW and let me know what you think. That's it for today. I'm Manica Raman Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and a regular episode of The Decibel will be in your feeds tomorrow morning, like always.